Welcome to 100 PM, the show where we interview 100 active product managers from startups to enterprise, everything in between, all from one great city every season. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com. That's the number 100, productmanagers.com. It's the web's largest single free resource for product management topics. We've got tons of great articles about business, technology, and design, fabulous contributors, and the official must-read, listen-to-follow list, as recommended by our incredible guests, week over week. It's season one. We're here in sunny Los Angeles. I'm your host, Susanna Bate, resident instructor at General Assembly and founder of The Development Factory. Welcome, and thanks for listening. Should you be a generalist or a specialist? It's a question every professional faces in their career. Zoom in, get really good at one skill, one technology, one software program, or get good at a lot of things. Be able to throw yourself into any environment and add value somehow. As a product manager, you tend to specialize in being a generalist and excel at being a translator. Today we're in Manhattan Beach talking to Liam Oliver, head of product at Total Loyalty Solutions, 16-year referee with USA Hockey, generalist. Let's dive in. started um, with Gannett at a, a little affiliate in Burlington, Vermont called the Burlington Free Press, one of actually the oldest newspapers uh, in the United States. And also, when I joined, it was uh, right around in 2010, so it was right after a huge market crash, specifically where newspapers lost a ton of market cap, their subscription revenue was way down, people were not advertising, and we sort of had the shift of where people were reading content online instead of through the traditional legacy uh, newspapers. So it was a really interesting time for a new person to come in and then have different ideas. Um, and one of, the, one of the struggles was, how do you monetize um, the exceptional content that's being produced by these local journalists all across the United States? Um, and one of those ideas was to sell products and services um, directly, sort of add an e-commerce style uh, feature or functionality uh, to the websites um, that had the Gannett reaches over two-thirds of the internet audience in the United States every every month. Um, so lots of eyeballs, let's monetize it through products. Um, so we sort of ideated that and uh, through school I had some uh, background in basic tech, um, basic back-end dev, and uh, we were able to um, build a platform that essentially syndicated content from different um, manufacturers of products um, to these different eyeballs and do that all automatically. So basically, we take your personal attributes, um, your browsing history, we serve you relevant products, might make you likely to buy that product, and ultimately we control, control the supply chain from routing that order to a supplier and ultimately getting it to your door. So it was, a, it was an idea. We brainstormed it, we did it in Burlington, worked really well, generated a ton of revenue. Then the next question was, is how do you make that a national product? Um, and uh, the rest is history. At the end, it generated over $50 million of uh, transactional revenue um, for the Gannett company. Wow. That was sort of the entry into product management. What an entry. 
it was, uh, it's sort of uh, a lot of times, like people say, like uh, product managers have to be entrepreneurial. In this case, it was really entrepreneurial because you're sort of, you're taking somebody else's money and you got to show them that, you know, it's, it, it's a good risk to take to, to fund this idea and actually how are they going to extract value for that. So. And so on that kind of first pilot project, you know, you talk about having basic tech skills, basic backend dev. Was it as rootsy as, hey, I did some coding in school, maybe I could whip <laughs> this thing up? Or did you guys actually kind of get the project architected and, and put together more formally. Yeah, definitely. So I did all the uh, requirements and uh, the basic UI, the wireframes and whatnot. So then it was uh, just mapping out the, uh, we used this API called Ecom Hub. Ecom Hub essentially can take in orders uh, from um, different e-commerce platforms and then uh, supply them to drop shippers and then obviously send that uh, like shipping confirmations and things like that. So we leveraged that technology stack. Um, we integrated with that, and uh, so I, I, I don't. I think it would have been difficult for a non-technical person to do, uh, because you would have to identify the right technologies. You'd have to identify the right platforms that you're going to use. You sort of have to do a build versus buy analysis, um, and. Uh, so I, I think uh, it definitely helped to have a semi-tech background. I, I feel like you're either uh, understating what yeah. you mean when you say basic tech. I, I, I could do basic rails, so yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. Because you know, you're talking about, uh, I mean, it's not just UX, UI. I mean, we're talking about software architecture. Sure. We're talking about server integrations yeah. and all of these pieces. So maybe let me put this a different way. How much did you already know going in, and how much were you just sort of learning on the fly and, and not maybe exposing I think, that? I think there was a ton that I had to learn, um, but I think I had a strong fundamentals in computer engineering to, to, to make that happen. But to say, to say that I knew everything that I needed to, I think one thing that you'll find in product management is you never, you're, you're never necessarily a master of everything. There's always going to be a team of engineers that are way smarter than you. There's always going to be a team of marketers that know so much more than you. And um, there's always going to be a finance person that tells you how you're not depreciating an asset correctly. Um, so uh, it's definitely, I think, one of the things uh, being a product manager, it's humbling because you constantly are surrounded by people that are smarter than you and that know their domains better than you. But it's really how do you, how do you take all of those components, sort of aggregate them to, to make something happen. Um, in that case, I think I was sort of a catalyst to do that. Right, and and the translation component, you know, this is something I talk a lot about with my students is you have to be a master translator. Sure. Developers and marketers do not speak the same language. They, they don't even like to be in the same room with each Certainly. other half the time. Yeah. They, they communicate in completely different ways. Um, and, and, and often they, they mean the same things, but um, they, 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 it just doesn't, it just doesn't translate. So Total Loyalty Solutions, this is your new baby that you're, yeah. so what does the company do? So Total Loyalty Solutions is a B2B software as a service that makes mobile apps for primarily small and medium-sized businesses. Okay. Um, Total Loyalty was founded uh, at the Gannett company, fully funded. Um, our parent company at Gannett, Gannett Digital Ventures, um, sold the, the assets of the company um, to uh, Velasquez, which is a $2.2 billion uh, direct mail company owned by uh, Ronald Perlman, um, a, a billionaire uh, activist investor. Um, so Total Loyalty, what it does is a lot of times uh, small and medium-sized businesses spend a lot of money acquiring new customers. 
Um, they're out doing broadcast television ads. They're spending a little bit of money in Google AdWords. Probably, if they're smart, they have some investments in social media, um, expanding their reach through those channels. What Total Loyalty does is it enables them to bring the customers back for additional visits. Um, so we use custom mobile apps with rewards programs um, and uh, uh, different types of content to essentially um, gamify the experience of, uh, of users to bring them back. So is an ideal customer sort of a, a retail or CPG type of business? I mean, who benefits the most from leveraging total sure. loyalty? The, the types of businesses that will benefit from a mobile app are those with a high purchase frequency. So you're looking at um, types of businesses where you have a customer that you could bring back for an additional visit in that month. So for example, a restaurant, a quick service restaurant, a spa or beauty salon, um, any, any type of uh, place where you can bring someone back. Um, consumer product groups, you would have to make uh, a, a more, I think uh, it, it, would have, it would be more of a vanity um, sort of type of application. You'd really, it, it, I think it would be harder to extract value um, for the user. Um, so with mobile apps, you know, a lot of businesses want a mobile app, but whenever you're constructing one, you really have to ask yourself, why is a customer or a user of this app, why is it going to add value to their daily life? Um, for a restaurant, that's easy to articulate. Um, it's considerably easier to order online through a mobile app. You know, it's a lot better to have your points on your mobile phone instead of a, a, an old punch card or something like that, a paper punch card. Um, so it can definitely add to the user experience or the guest experience at a restaurant. Um, and that's why we see good fit, a good fit in that uh, vertical. Great. <clears throat> and I was, you know, going to ask you, well, why did you leave Gannett? to come here, but it sounds now like it's a little it's bit... another little startup. Yeah, it's not, well, it's not so cut and dried. So how did you get involved with Total Loyalty and exit from Gannett? Yeah, definitely. So I was, I was with Gannett, um, and essentially um, the, one of the presidents at Gannett Digital Ventures, um, we were coming up with uh, an idea. We had, we, Gannett, is fun, Gannett is fundamentally a marketing and advertising services company. Tons of marketing tools, tons of ways to acquire new customers. We had to brainstorm on a solution um, to bring people back. Um, so Total Loyalty came out of that idea. Um, there was one or two of us in a room that originally sort of came up with the idea, how do you spit out um, loyalty applications? How do you enable our advertisers to bring people back? Um, it fit really well within one of our business units. Uh, the business unit was called Clipper Magazine. Um, they reached 25 million households every month. Um, with direct mail magazines, and uh, the 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 asset was really well uh, was really well and that really uh, fit well within that organization. Um, we had a team of three engineers that they they weren't doing anything. We put them on the project. They're extremely passionate about it. Um, and then we just hit the ground running, and 18 months later, we have 1,600 subscribers. So it, it started as a covert ops kind of mission. It was sort of a, an MVP. Right. Um, the original, we just had a CMS that spit out a little provisioning server for an app. Um, and then it's sort of uh, uh, iterated since then. Wow. It's amazing. And so what, what's the structure? Are you sort of one of many PMs? Are you one of three people that are on this? So we were originally um, a sales guy, um, a team of three engineers, and uh, a product manager. And uh, now we're up to, I think we're up to 25 ops, uh, operations and designers, our customer success division. We have a team of uh, seven sales uh, led by a sales VP. 
still at three developers, we need some more, and uh, still the product manager. Um, so the VP of sales, uh, product management, that's me, and uh, we report up to the, the division president. Talk to me about some of the major functions that you're responsible for you know, in your capacity as product manager. Definitely. So I think the first thing is I assume P&L responsibility over making sure that the business is profitable, that it's scaling in the right direction, that we're going to be somewhere in five years. Um, we're going to be in a better spot in five years. Um, the next part is uh, right now we don't have a marketing team. So uh, all of product marketing. Um, communications that all sort of falls under my umbrella and as the company scales that's something where I'll need to train a trainer sort of train the trainer and uh, bring a team in that can take the responsibilities of that and run with it and that's something we're dealing with right now part of scaling um, it, it really uh, it, it starts in, in phases so on day one I mean it's really starting who's your target audience and how do you reach them for us it was restaurants small businesses, spas, and uh, beauty salons, and things like that. So we had to assemble a sales team. So the first thing is you go, well, what sales team would be the right fit for selling this? So it's hiring that team, getting, getting them running, um, and going through different phases. Then the next phase was, okay, we have clients. This is great. The velocity is improving. How do you service these people? Well, then it was coming up with the customer success division. Okay. All right, let's let's let's. Where are we going to base them? Where's a good place that's a, you can get affordable talent that can deal with technology, design mobile apps, and and really make sure that we exceed customer expectations. So then after that was done, it's oh my gosh, all of this just doesn't work together. There's so much being done by hands. How are we ever going to scale? So then it was trying to. This is like month six. Is okay. Let's try to find some efficiencies here. Let's improve the content management system. Let's make sure that Salesforce speaks to um, the, the, the content management tool so we're not doing double entry of data um, and that the processes to actually um, uh, make sense, the unit economics makes sense to build a mobile app for these SFBs. And now we're at a cool spot. Now it's about scale. So now it's about taking the sales division, it's about taking the customer success division, and it's about taking our engineering team and it's how do, we, how do we multiply that by 10 times? How do we go from 1,600 clients to 10,000? Um, and that's, that's what we're working on now. So it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and especially when, as in your case, you've been involved with the company from inception, right? Where Certainly. you're actually watching, and I, I, I think of Bullseye Framework. I don't know if you read Traction. They I talk. not, no. Great recommended yeah. read. So they talk a little bit about you know the efforts that it takes to move the needle when you're in that getting those first few customers sure. phase um, are very different. It's a very different complexion, very different strategies that work um, and that can serve you versus once you get into that you know ten thousand users or hundred thousand users and suddenly strategies like targeting blogs, while they may still be effective, it's it's not effective in a measurable way because you need to go to the power of 10, not sure. you know, five more a people. A lot of times there's a lot of obvious problems to solve, but it really comes down to prioritizing where can you extract the most value in that day or that decision or really on an engineering roadmap in, in a product feature. Right, right. Now, you know, one of the things I, I laugh about, I, I teach a lot about some of the, the current tools and frameworks that sure. are available. Uh, things like business model canvas, lean yep. model canvas, and I think 
man, where were these things when I was making all of my first mistakes and yeah, my right? first products along the way? How many of those types of tools have you in your experience adopted versus, oh, it would be nice to have yeah. the time to do a proper lean model canvas exercise, but we're just going to kind of wing it? Yeah, you know, when I was originally in sort of the incubation stage, you know, lean methodology made a lot of sense to me. Um, I, I, I spun up a few MVPs and whatnot um, back in the day. One was a gift card product uh, for SMBs as well. Um, and I think it's a, it's a great way to um, validate assumptions and sort of um, identify product market fit. Um, and I think even when you're, you're growing as a company, um, there, there's opportunities to have small little pilots and to test little things before you necessarily scale them. Long story short, I think, I think different methodologies and different um, texts, if you will, are a great way to learn from others' mistakes and also a great way to sort of refine your product management capabilities. Um, so getting different influences and whatnot has definitely made me a better product manager. And I think it's also allowed me to um, accelerate my career a bit um, and sort of uh, at constantly, constantly be learning and learning more about how I could better execute um, different products. What would you say is sort of, if you had to describe to me your special blend of skill set, the, the recipe balance that goes into making Liam great, what is that? The, the, the Liam, uh, what, you know, for me... <laughs> Liam think, cocktail. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I think mine is, uh, it's, a, it's, it's having strong technical found, uh, fundamentals, um, but being able to communicate to an end user, listen to an end user, and extract what they need, and what I think would be valuable... Um, in the in the short term for that product, take the best things and uh, sort of assemble the right roadmap for the future. Um, so I think it's a it's a combination of tr st strong tech and good product marketing. That That's makes you. sense. Yeah, just a good fundamental marketing and tech in there. Yeah. Right. Right. And so you know, if you were giving advice to somebody else, some up and coming product manager or some career changer, what do you think is sort of the the one non-negotiable essential skill that you have to have, if not for anything else, and this is a part two, what's the one essential quality of a person that's like, if you've got this, you can do this? Skill and quality. Gosh, you know, I think you, I think you have to be comfortable with handling ambiguity. I think you have to be able to be a good listener and be able to handle ambiguity assemble all of the different stakeholders and really just really be able to make a decision on how you're going to extract the most value from whatever the next steps are. Um, so there's, there's, there's the big thing with being a product manager is being able to say no. And a lot of times you're saying no to great ideas. A lot of times you're saying no to concepts that could potentially make a lot of money. Um, but ultimately, as a pr uh, product manager, you have, to be, you have to be comfortable with ambiguity, and you have to be comfortable with coming up with a roadmap that you, th that you think that will get the different stakeholders the most return on their investment in both time and engineering resources. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, so I, I think it does. So when you talk about having to say no, is that sort of fiercely protecting the product roadmap? It's like... Great idea, but that's not what we agreed on. Great idea, but that's going to take us down a path. Scope we creep, didn't yeah, plan yeah. For. No, it's never. Scope creep is incredibly dangerous. Um, but uh, I, I, I think it's saying no to good ideas because there are there are other ones that need to be prioritized higher. There are other things that that stakeholder may not realize it, 
but but based on your vision and based on your modeling, based on um, your expectations of your existing roadmap, you you can hit the ground running and execute on that. And ultimately, the company as a whole will benefit. I mean, a lot of times, a good example is marketing might have an ask, ops might have an ask, and engineering must might have a ton of technical debt um, that they need to fix. I mean, ultimately, all three likely can benefit their respective organizations and even each other. Um, but ultimately, you only have so many resources, and you got to figure out which ones make the most sense to execute on. So are you the type of product manager that when you leave the room, everyone's like, oh, Liam always says no to everything? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think so. I think they, uh, I think uh, you always want to be inclusive of ideas, but I think you have to set expectations as far my, my, my goal is the end of the, a, a backlog grooming session, if you will, is that everyone will, it will be clearly articulated where their stories, their user stories or feature requests are, are in the product backlog um, and, and their relative prioritization to one another. And I would hope, you know, a big thing about being a product manager is being able to represent everyone that isn't in the room. So that could be a user um, that uses the product. It could be a marketing director that's not at that meeting um, and representing their interests. Um, and uh, I think the idea is to get a consensus or at least an educated idea of why an organization is putting resources um, against different features and whatnot and moving forward with it. What, uh, what's the first hard lesson you ever learned on the job? Um, I think, uh, I think uh, oh, gosh, there's so many. <laughs> you can just pick one. It doesn't have to be I think it's uh, for managing for perfection. Um, as a product manager, you want, you, want, you want the best solution at the cheapest price possible. One example is uh, a big part of our e-commerce vertical uh, at Gannett was uh, an email that was sent to 4.5 million subscribers at the time. Um, we had a really great marketing director who had a really great email marketing manager um, who wanted an email template that uh, was fundamentally challenging to, to script correctly. Um, and long story short, we delayed an email, just an email, crea uh, email creative, a, a template, an HTML email template, which HTML and email can be difficult sometimes. Um, that, that was essentially, we delayed it six weeks because it was off by six pixels. And we, 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 we allocated a developer and a half to, a, to essentially six pix pixels um, for six weeks. Essentially, I think it came out to like eight to $10,000 worth of cost. Now, the email, incredibly important. It generates millions of dollars of revenue every year. Really important. The six pixels, probably not so much. We would have been all right. Um, so I think uh, it's uh, that you gotta you gotta know what you're working on. Uh, sometimes you can't have everything be perfect. Right. So whose decision was it? We must have. The, that sounds like a designer. Usually yeah, designers yeah. are the ones that fight for pixels. <laughs> so that in that case, it was the email marketing manager. Um, it was uh, my. I, I tried several times to move on. It got elevated to in our case our general manager, um, and uh, I lost the battle for five weeks. One and not week six. Amazing. It happens. It happens. <laughs> Absolutely. So I brought up traction. I'm wondering, and you talk about always learning, are there any sort of must-read books, podcasts, 
blog, like, what do you think yeah. is the, if you have not read this manual or if you don't follow this person, you know nothing. You're missing out. So I'm going to, for me, I, I, I'm really interested in SaaS companies right now for the, the domain that I'm in right now, uh, software as subscription, um, building, building, increasing your monthly reoccurring revenue of a product, reducing churn and things like that. Um, so I want to give a shout out to Jason Lemkin, who's a VC, one of the uh, founders of EchoSign. Um, sort of uh, the company acquired by uh, uh, Adobe that does the, uh, the, the, the contracts online. Um, he has a great blog called The Saster, and I think it, it really gives uh, great insight to anyone who is interested in building and scaling a software as a subscription product. Um, based out of San Francisco, they've really helped me justify um, my revenue model um, at Total Loyalty Solutions and really helped build that product. Lots of influences there from hiring your first VP of sales uh, to um, uh, managing teams of engineers um, and putting all the financial metrics in order. So good stuff. What advice would you offer somebody with that age-old dilemma? So I've, I've just completed a course at General Assembly. I've got my product management certificate. Yeah. I'm ready to move into this space. I got no experience. How do you make that move? How do you make yourself hireable? How do you find yeah. the right job? So from my experience, product managers are people who like building things. Um, so my my experience and the best product managers that I know who have evolved to you know C-suite spots have all had a vested interest in building exceptional products. So I any any person who wants to get into product management first it's like it's an interesting like career. It's you're you're not an expert in anything. You're a master of absolutely none. Um, and I think the only places where you can get sort of get the well-rounded knowledge that you need to be a product manager is by building your own products, going out with a few friends, scripting a few lines of code that solve a problem, and then maybe bringing that to market. So almost being a founder yourself. Um, the second is to go to a larger company and learn something well and figure out how to make it better. And once you learn how to make it better, pitch, pitch your boss or maybe build your own product. That, that solves a problem and go run with that. You know, a lot of time product managers are almost like little founders within an organization. Um, they need to understand the vision, they need to understand the roadmap, and they need to be confident in an idea where they're, they're willing to put their own political capital um, or uh, uh, personal capital within that organization out to bat for that and to really make it happen. Um, so my advice would be to go just build something. Um, whether it be a tool, a software product, or a solution, go out and solve a problem somewhere. Awesome. It, awesome. It's, not, it's not just going out and applying for jobs. I mean, product managers, I mean, it is, I think it's one of the easiest places to get a job for if you're, if you're building things because um, it, you're constantly getting recruited. There's constantly different ideas out there that you can help execute. Um, it really comes down to, you know, how can you help a team get to the next level. Um, and that comes from just experience of making things happen. Sometimes, you know, I, I got all these little sound bites. This yeah. is a life amassed in sound bites. Sure. One of the ones I use is, um, you know, whether you think you are or whether you think you're not, you're right. Which is just, for me, it's all about whatever you think to be true about yourself, a situation, I can't change your mind. You know, yeah. uh, Jack Trout talks about this in positioning. Once a customer has made up their mind about a product, that's what that product yeah. is about. So you want to own that position. But um, do you have kind of a, a soundbite or a mantra that 
you know you live by and something that you feel comfortable to share sure um i'm a big believer in there's a lot of obstacles that are good problems to have um a lot of times when you're building a solution you're someone's going to come up with an objection you know how are you going to do that for a hundred people or that isn't going to work now i think a lot of times um good Good product management means having the right solution for that time, not the best solution forever. Um, so if you if you have a product, do things that don't scale at first, um, but can can continuously see how you can iterate, improve the product so it scales. Um, just keep on making the product better every day. Keep on moving forward, and you'll get through it. Great. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Awesome. You're listening to 100 p.m., the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great resources for anybody looking to learn more about product management or starting a technology business. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. Join me here. We've got a new conversation every Tuesday. We'll see you next time.